0: Foss Corporation LLC Welcome once again to the mansion on the hill, the house of strange, the palace of mystery. This is the home of Terry's mysterious moments. This is season five. We thank you for listening to the show. Hello, my fellow Mysterians. This is Terry from Texas. I have been binge watching a lot of shows lately, uh, most of them paranormal related and one i found was paranormal caught on camera these are videos that have been submitted and you can either take them as truth or leave them as silliness Uh, i know i do but one of the stories had a couple who were hearing noises in their backyard for nights on end and the wife decided to take her camera uh, and film out the back window because she heard What sounded like growling. She looked outside and the light from the camera was playing across the back of the property. And this was apparently in a community because there were other houses nearby. But in front of, I guess a shed was a tree. And as she panned across and got the tree in focus, there was what looked like a head sticking out from behind the tree, and all of a sudden when the light hit it full, it jumped back. Out of the way. The so called paranormal expert who was commenting on this particular clip called this a hide behind. Now, I've never heard of a hide behind. Just maybe the way they talk up there. I don't know. But it's apparently connected to uh, early American folklore. This is what I found. The hide-behind is a nocturnal, fearsome critter from American folklore that preys upon humans that wander the woods and was blamed for the disappearance of early loggers when they failed to return to camp. As its name suggests, the hide-behind is noted for its ability to conceal itself. When an observer attempts to look directly at it, The creature quickly hides behind an object or behind the observer and therefore cannot be directly seen. The hide-behind uses this ability to stalk human prey without being observed and to attack them without warning. Their victims, including lumberjacks and others who frequent the forests, are then dragged back to the creature's lair to be devoured. The creature subsists chiefly upon the intestines of its victims and has a severe aversion to alcohol, which is therefore considered a sufficient repellent. Tales of the hide-behind may have helped explain strange noises in the forest at night. Early accounts describe hide-behinds as large, powerful animals, despite the fact that no one was able to see them. Well, if you got a description, somebody was able to see it, don't you think? Anyway, it it reminded me somewhat of the uh, the Wendigo legend in in many cases. In Icelandic folklore, the Lagerflot worm is a lake monster purported to live in Lagerflot, a lake by the town of Eglstær. The first sighting is generally conceded to be the 1345 marble seen at Lagerflot and recorded in the medieval annals of the 15th century. The serpent at the lake has been mentioned in 16th century world maps, a 17th century chronicle, and a baroque poem from the 17th century chronicle. My thoughts are if it ain't baroque don't fix it. The monster was seen at the lake in 1749-1750 and the media have reported sightings into the 20th and 21st century, including a 2012 video, supposedly, showing the creature swimming. According to the folk tale published in Jan Arneson's collection in 1862, a heathworm, which is apparently a type of slug, kept with gold, grew into a monster inhabiting the lake. But that's a folktale, isn't it? Similar heathworm stories are attached to several other Icelandic bodies of water, and in one town, Sabine Bering Gould collected an 1862 account of a monster with a seal-like head, which have been compared to or equated with older accounts of monsters at Lagerflot. The serpentine creature is said to live in Lagerflot, hence the Lagerflot worm, which is a freshwater, below sea level, glacial-fed lake which has very, very poor visibility as a result of siltation. The creature is described as longer than a bus, around 40 feet, and has also been reported outside the water, lying coiled up or slithering into the trees. It is a many-humps type of lake monster, rather than the simply serpentine type, for example, the Loch Ness Monster. The lagerflot worm has been sighted several times in modern times, including 1963 by the head of the Icelandic National Forest Service and in 1998 by a teacher and students at a local school. By the way, if you're hearing strange noises in the background, it's not ghosts, I've got a yard man weed eating out in my yard. In 1983, contractors laying a telephone cable measured a large shifting mass near the eastern shore when performing preliminary depth measurements, and when they later retrieved the non-functional cable, they found that it was broken where it had lain over the anomaly. This cable that was specifically engineered so it wouldn't kink was wound in several places and badly torn and damaged in 22 different places. I believe we dragged the cable directly over the belly of the beast unless it was through his mouth. A sightseeing boat beginning operations on the lake in 1999 and others seek to preserve the traditions of the logger worm for cultural and tourism purposes. In February 2012, the Icelandic national broadcaster, RUV, published a video thought to show the lagerflot worm swimming in snow-covered, icy waters. But according to a frame-by-frame analysis of the footage by Finland-based researcher Misa McKeown, the filmed object actually made no progress through the water, although optical illusion made it appear to propel forward. Now, I saw that video and it was moving, slowly, but moving. The phenomenon could be explained by a flimsy, inanimate object, such as a frozen fishnet, being moved by rapid current. Despite this, in 2012, an Icelandic panel voted by a 7-6 margin to authenticate the video as genuine, awarding money to the filmmaker. This received criticism as an attempt to attract visitors of crypto tourism. It looked real to me, but I understand the critical skepticism. It did have a connected box sort of body, you know, that would go for several feet, and it undulated weirdly, I think. But in sub freezing water, you know, what are you going to do? You don't have good circulation, you're going to just do what you can. In August of 2014, an Icelandic truth commission reported that members were divided about the video but saw no reason to doubt the existence of the creature. There are many stories of strange animals or unknown phenomena in Lågerflot. These include accounts of the Lågerflot worm as well as other monsters, a strand worm, or a monstrous seal or poisonous skate you know, skate is like a manta. The legend of the worm is arguably first mentioned in the year 1345 in the Icelandic annals, AD 1430. Although the text only refers to the sighting as a wonderful thing or a marvel, and not specifically as a worm, the things seen in Lagerflot look like either islands or humps out of water. Distance hundreds of fathoms apart But no one saw that it either Had a head or a tail These creatures were documented In annals With some frequency In subsequent times as well Back around the time I began doing this podcast I heard another podcaster mention The concept of the tulpa T-U-L-P-A In my superiority of ignorance I said to myself This is something he was trying to introduce into paranormal speak. Within a very short time, this concept went pretty dormant, except maybe for the hardcore paranormalist, but it recently has come back into the center ring and it makes a bit of sense now. Tulpa is a concept in mysticism and the paranormal of a being or object which is created through spiritual or mental powers. You think of it, you believe it, you give it a body in life. It was adapted by 20th century theosophists from Tibetan sprulpa which means emanation or manifestation. Modern practitioners use the term to refer to a type of willed imaginary friend which practitioners consider to be sentient and relatively autonomous. In my still limited understanding we the people, if enough are in similar mindset, can simply by believing in an idea, cause an unreal being to become real. Take for example the rake. Now, I'm sure you've seen the photo of the skeletal looking creature with glowing eyes, usually presented in position like it's crawling towards you with a hand out towards you. The rake is a fictional creature, but some paranormal experts believe that with the amount of attention given to it, the rake has become real. The same I would suppose could be attributed to Slenderman. He was a mythical construct for the internet. But numerous people have given testimony that Slenderman truly exists. I wonder if things like the Hat Man or the Hag are similar situations. Beings given reality by people believing in them. I have been watching this paranormal video show lately and, and this show uses a lot of UFO videos. I feel I need to clarify my stance on UFOs. I've done it before, I'll probably do it again, so bear with me. I believe in UFOs because I have seen three, well, two outright, and once I saw what may have been the light effects of one. I'm not swayed enough to believe in aliens though, and I will not argue the point. But in watching these videos on this show, I have to ask if the paranormal experts who give commentary really are so gullible as to believe all of the videos, or if that's the way the producers want them to do. Now, to help you understand me, I don't believe every story I hear, and I'm not sure every one of my stories are believed by everyone who hears them. These stories, mine and others, are very personal situations. If I don't believe them, it doesn't matter because it's not up to me to give the stories credibility. Now, I'll admit to a certain thrill when seeing a video that purports to be something strange, either Bigfoot ghosts yetis a strange cryptid possibly a UFO or 10 but I have to temper my belief Have you all seen the video which ostensibly comes from Russia showing a car traveling down a snow-covered road with its dash cam just a rolling away what is it with Russians and their dash cams and the cars occupants chatting away when suddenly something off-white, and possibly furry, clears the snow berm on the right side of the roadway, takes a few quick steps, and jumps over the left berm and out of sight. The car quickly stops, waits a few moments, accompanied by excited Russians freaking out, and then it continues on its way. Now number one, no matter how curious I was as to what I just saw, I don't think I would be getting out of the car if I thought it was a creature that could just beat me to a pulp in an instant. This video has been around for a few years. Or maybe you've seen the video of the Bigfoot crossing the road in front of two police employees, which later turns out to be a college prank. How about the reported poltergeist video shot in a sparse motel in South Texas, where things jump out of their places almost on command as the filmer documents and describes the action. I think that was already proven to be a hoax or at least called out for shenanigans. I will be the first to say that some of these are real, but I'll be even quicker to call shenanigans myself on what I think are blatant fakes and hoaxes. For instance, the Patterson-Gimlin Bigfoot footage Now I remember seeing that footage presented on TV back when I was about 7 or 8 years old. I didn't really understand or know who or what Bigfoot was. I just knew it was a big critter. But on seeing that footage, I knew I believed in Bigfoot. My brother told stories he had read in adventure, manly, outdoorsy magazines about Bigfoot stories of the late 19th, early 20th century. They helped to enhance my Bigfoot belief. When I heard about Roswell, although 20 or 30 years after the fact, my thoughts were, was it real? I didn't think so, honestly. I realized something became a scatter of strange material, but just didn't get a ring of truth from the alien body story. Project Blue Book came into my life, and here I thought was something to believe in at least it was someone trying to explain something at best strange and at least a little frightening. Around this time an unusual Israel Defense Force soldier named Uri Geller came into the spotlight. He could bend spoons using just his mind. Of course he was using his hands to help accomplish this. But in the midst of all this could be stuff came real horrors. Richard Speck, the Chicago nurse killer. Albert DeSalvo, the Boston Strangler. The in-cold-blood killings. The Manson family in the Tate-LaBianca murders. Son of Sam, David Berkowitz. Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. The Atlanta child murders and the suspect, Wayne Williams. Charles Whitman shooting people from the tower on the University of Texas Austin campus. The Hillside Stranglers. I had to put an S on there because it was found that there were two of them. They were cousins. The Green River Strangler. The Zodiac Killer, someone I've done a show on before. And the Texas Railroad Killer. I also used him in a show. In the midst of all the fright built up by paranormal researchers on TV, the real fright of a new type of horror villain the serial killer arose and began getting press. A few examples of what I considered to be mass murder attributable to brainwashing are the People's Temple mass murder suicide and the Heaven's Gate cult suicide brought on an even newer and far scarier type of fear death by religion. Now, when People's Temple happened. I was going to junior college and that was it on the news for a while. The Heaven's Gate cult has been since I've been married and you kind of look at it and go, "Uh, okay, sorry that they're dead, but okay. The 60s, 70s, and 80s brought an onslaught of political assassinations, a brand new type of fear. Medgar Evers, 1963. John F. Kennedy, 1963, Malcolm X, 1965, Robert Kennedy, 1968, Martin Luther King, 1968, and in an interesting side note, Alberta Williams King, the mother of Martin Luther King Jr., was killed while listening to her husband preach on June 30th of 1974. In the 70s, attempted assassinations were the rage. Eh, shoot at them, hit them, but don't kill them. George Wallace, segregationist governor of Alabama, was paralyzed when shot in 1972. In 1975, Gerald Ford survived two attempts by Manson family members. And, of course, in 1981, a lunatic by the name of John Hinckley, Jr., Attempted to shoot President Reagan, and indeed he did shoot him, along with others, in order to impress actress Jodie Foster. The United States wasn't the only place horrified by assassinations. In Rome in 1981, Pope John Paul II was shot in an attempt on his life. Although he was shot four times and suffered severe blood loss, the Pope survived. In Egypt, 1981, although in Mandela-effect style, I seem to remember it happening in 1983 or later, Anwar Sadat was publicly assassinated by some of his army officers during the 6 October parade, which commemorated the Yom Kippur War, which oddly enough, although it was ended by treaty, the Egyptians and their allies were soundly trounced by the Israeli army. It seems that terror has been on the rise, and in doing so, fact has pushed the ethereal world of critters, ghosts, flying objects back into the mists. Flying terrors. This is fo show a weird and downright scary subject. There are reports all over the US, and perhaps even over the world, of large flying creatures. Sometimes they're called Thunderbirds, Others refer to them as Pteranodons or Pterosaurs. Whatever name you give them, they've been seen for ages, despite their having gone extinct way long a time ago. Remember my show on the Coelacanthus fish? What are they? I haven't the foggiest what these flying things are. But people still report them, and they're still scared of and by them. Another flying thing is Mothman. The description usually given is a huge red-eyed entity with giant moth-type wings. Looking at the eyes can have adverse effects on the onlooker. The Mothman is either a harbinger of disaster or the bringer of said disaster. Whatever it is, he certainly is popular. Flying Humanoids The videos I've seen of this phenomenon make me feel like my leg is being pulled. The entities filmed make me think they are human-sized and human-shaped helium balloons, sometimes equipped with means of propulsion. Low on my believable meter. Floating orbs. You've seen them in all the paranormal videos that have orbs. Oh, that's a spirit. That's a spirit. And some brave individual has the guts to call them dust, bugs, occasionally. These can be either inside or outside phenomena, usually appearing on camera as either slow moving balls of light or as speedy little flashes of glowing anomaly. Sometimes proven to be dust, as in old places not upkept or spider webs from the same types of places. Other times, insects very close to the cameras and reflecting an amorphous blur. This happens a lot on exterior cameras, normally considered by some in the paranormal field as spirits. If that were true, then I took a photo of thousands of spirits in my yard once, or it could have been the fog in the air that night. I vote on the fog. Shadow people. I believe in shadow people because I have seen them, in my home, for a while. I've heard them described as possibly evil entities, but I've never had a problem with them. Disembodied voices. I've heard them. I've heard them in my home having many conversations. My wife has heard them, calling both her name and having conversations. I even caught a disembodied voice while doing a live feed from my cardboard once. Apparitions. Seen one in my bedroom. She was dressed in turn of the 20th century clothing. She was not elderly, probably 40 or 50. Footsteps. Heard several times by my wife and I in my bedroom. And they were heel-toe, heel-toe, sounded like solid sole shoes. And they walked between us at one time. and walked out of the bedroom. Shadows as opposed to shadow people. My bathroom is a haven for shadows. This is the bathroom where I have suffered my more recent injuries leading to surgeries. Dreams. I have dreams, but not many that I would give much spiritual weight to. I don't think I've ever had a visitation dream. Apparently, my family members who have passed are at peace. Ouija boards. I don't use them. I don't suggest using them. I don't think it's wise or intelligent to use them. Period. Ghost hunts. I've never been on a real one. We've done some going out looking for strange stuff at times, but not actually a ghost hunt. Like I said, I've never been on one, but I don't have a thing against them. If you can go on one, knock yourself out. See what you think. There are many aspects of the whole ghost thing that I could go into but won't. There are many things, many subjects you could look at or study. Some I would say to stay away from. Others I would just say, be careful. Just remember to be respectful in all that you do, whatever you do. I like to read ghost stories, real stories, not fiction. Although, sometimes a good fictional ghost story is really good to kind of cleanse your palate. I hope you do, too. But remember, all things in moderation. Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for being along for the ride. I want to remind you that on Mondays, Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal Activity, The podcast. Aaron reads listener stories, mostly ghost stories, sometimes UFOs, sometimes cryptids. On Tuesday, Aaron Frail brings you Aaron's Horror Show, different things that he's written. He reviews movies, books, things like that. On Wednesday, it's me, Terry from Texas, with Terry's Mysterious Moments, where we talk about just about anything there is to talk about. And at the first weekend of the month, we have video from The Witching Hour. Aaron has instituted a new area called Entertaining Short Films. That's exactly what they are. They're just short stories. Nothing in particular. No particular genre. Just entertaining. Remember that you can go to your app store whether you have apple or android download the rpa app which is a black square with a blue eye in the middle of it download that to the device that you listen to the program on install it and when you open that up you can go straight to the real paranormal activity the podcast and its network so all the all the stories that are involved with rpa are there so you don't have to go hunting for them if you want to contact me at terry's mysterious moments you can do that on the facebook page and it's called terry's mysterious moments or you can email me at terry's mysterious moments at gmail.com contact me if you want to let's talk about some things that's about it we'll be back again listen to the other shows